Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Welcome to Basic Folk. This is a podcast featuring honest conversations with folk musicians. I'm Cindy. I host this podcast. Thank you for listening today. This is your first time checking out Basic Folk. Welcome if you're a longtime listener. Hiya. Good to see ya. Today we're talking about Beatrice Deer, who I realized when I was trying to say her name that my Boston accent really hinders me in saying it the way that I want to. Beatrice Deer. But I'm, I'm all right. That's just what we're going to go with. Beatrice Deer. Now based in Montreal, growing up in northern Quebec, Beatrice Deer spent a lot of time outside in her Inuit community of Kektak. Her village was small. There was about a population of 350, 400 people and very tight knit. Raised in a big family, her parents brought music into their house and would often play around the house as well as expose Beatrice to music in their church where they served as pastors. Even though her town is so remote, you can only access it by plane, she had access to plenty of popular music growing up, like Disney soundtracks, Grease, Michael Jackson, and so many music videos from Much Music, which is the MTV of Canada. She would actually tape music videos on Much Music while visiting Montreal because it wasn't available in her home village. She sings in English and French, but mostly she sings in her native Inuktitut, which she feels most comfortable expressing herself. Through the influence of her community and the pop music she loved growing up, she created a genre of music called Inuindi and has released three albums in that style, being Inuit and Indie Rock. Beatrice has overcome a lot in her life, sexual abuse, alcoholism, toxic relationships, depressions, and thoughts of suicide. The starting point for her latest album, My All to You, was a desire to relive the moment in which she decided to transform her outlook and do some serious work on herself. Now an advocate for mental and physical well-being, as well as for her Inuit community, she travels in the north in Canada, visiting First Nation communities. She plays with her band, performs speaking engagements about overcoming trauma, and offers professional development training. I'm grateful to Beatrice for sharing her story on the podcast. So pumped for you to listen to this conversation and learn about this incredible person. We're going to take a listen to the traditional Inuit song Imuta, which is on her new album, My All to You. And you got to watch the video, which I posted on my website, cindyhouse.net. We talk about it in um, in the interview. Uh, and also, I have mispronounced a lot of names in this introduction and in the interview. And Beatrice was so kind to um, correct me whenever I said something wrong. So apologies for mispronouncing things. Uh, in the intro here. But let's take a listen to this song and then get to our conversation with Beatrice Deer on Basic Folk. (laughs) 
Beatrice Deer, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's just so nice to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, you're a Montreal-based songwriter who originally you're from the Inuit community of Kektak? Huaktak. Huaktak, which yes. is a small village in its very north. Yeah. Like very northern point of Quebec. Um, you have lived in Montreal since 2007, but you're still very connected to your home. It's a huge part of your musical identity and personal identity. The village has a small population of around 400 or so. Mm -hmm. It's basically Arctic, although I looked up the weather today and it was like in the 50s Fahrenheit, um, which is not, which is, must be nice at this at this time of year. There's no snow up there, um, and it's only accessible by plane, which. I don't know if you've even been able to go up there during the the pandemic. I was thinking about that. I haven't. I haven't. I'm not able to go. Um, yeah, it's a very small town and it's been a, a warm summer. Um, my family's been telling me that it's been super warm and there's a lot of uh, plants more than usual that are growing and it's been raining uh, more fre frequently than usual. Is that kind of a alarming in the sense of global warming? Yeah, global warming is very um, evident in the north, more so seems like than, than the south here. Um, we see more species that that are not natural to the environment. Yeah, the, the ice melts differently, the snow melts differently, which causes different concerns um, mm. mm -hmm. um growing up in your village what was your like normal what did your normal look like well that depends on the age group <laughs> but um I remember um going camping a lot um when I was very young sleeping in tents and going by boat and um going to the neighboring village uh, by snowmobile to visit my grandparents and playing outside all the time. Um, there was barely any kid shows uh, during the week. So we spent a lot. Of, yeah. So um, we spent a lot of time outside playing. Uh, my parents uh, always um, spoiled us with a lot of toys so I had a lot of toys but we as we got older we walked around a lot and we basically probably knew every every rock <laughs> around the vicinity of the community just because we always just walked around um, and like catching little fish uh, making our own little nets trying to catch birds and lemmings and things like that it, it's it was beautiful yeah I have good memories from my childhood <laughs> what was your family structure like growing up um I have a big family um my my parents uh, my father is from from Ganawage, uh a reserve here um near Montreal and my mom is from um the region of Huaktak so they met down here and then got married and they just celebrated their 48th year wedding anniversary. Wow. They had many children and I'm the youngest in the biological 
children and um, my mom's uh, pastor and she was a school principal and she was a mayor at, as well so my mom's this uh, like very how would I say a dedicated uh, woman to 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 her community and the region so she inspires me a lot and my dad is always there um, working really hard and supporting the family all the time and and um, we have we have a big family uh, but we have also suffered a lot of loss in our family um, I've lost three siblings um, to tragedies and um, that that effect that had a big impact on our family so yeah we've gone through a lot but we're we're strong as a family. Your dad plays bass and guitar and your mom plays organ and accordion, which my dad plays accordion too. So it's oh, so yeah. fun to have a, <laughs> have a parent who plays accordion and they would play around the house. What kind of music was being shared this way in your home growing up and how would you participate? Um, my parents uh, are like the, the main Christmas band um, because every Christmas, the whole community meets at the local gym, school gymnasium to celebrate Christmas. That's how we do celebrate Christmas. We don't stay at home. Well, I mean, we we do have family feasts, but um, Christmas in Inuit culture is going to the biggest building in town and square dancing for hours and hours and hours, playing games, outrageous games with outrageous prizes. And your parents would be performing while these games were happening? Um, the games and the Christmas dances are separate. So whenever there's dancing, there's no games. Whenever there's games, there's no dancing. So um, it's mostly uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day that there's uh, a lot of square dancing. Sounds fun. Yeah, it's amazing. It's one of my favorite times. Growing up, you were interested in popular music. Like, um, I read that you really loved the Disney songs, and I think we're the yeah. same age. So, like, grew up during the Disney Renaissance, which is pretty great. Uh, also a fan of Grease and yeah. Michael Jackson, the moonwalk. Yeah. How did that kind of like popular music resonate with you um, differently than the music that you were hearing um, at church and then at those Christmas dances? Well, at church, there the the songs are more um, there's a there's a very specific structure that like Anglican songs have and like because the new church, the new uh, Christian fellowship fellowship church back in those days used the same songs that were sung at the Anglican church so they're they're pretty like they kind of sound melancholy I guess mm. um, some some are more upbeat I mean they have very like strong meanings but when I was a child I didn't understand the meaning behind the songs so they just sounded really serious to me <laughs> right give me under the sea oh <laughs> give me the little mermaid yeah exactly <laughs> oh i would watch the 
the other the little mermaid was definitely my favorite and i watched those all those disney movies over and over and over and over and who didn't and then accordion music is like the same accordion songs that just never ever get old like no matter how many times <laughs> in my 37 years that uh, we celebrate Christmas. It's the same accordion songs that just <laughs> bring you to your feet and you can't just sit down. And uh, it's 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 such a joy <laughs> to dance yeah. to accordion music. When you were maybe a little bit older than you were when you were watching The Little Mermaid over and over again, um, you were really into Much Music, which is the MTV of Canada. And it was not available in your village, but you would watch it and tape it when you would visit Montreal. What would those recordings mean to you when you would get back to your village? I remember being so excited to show my friends what uh, much music is. Were um, you the cool one that went down to Montreal? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I must admit. <laughs> <laughs> When I got home, I would play them over and over again. Um, I loved watching Green Day and Bush singing Glycerine. Um, He's still, yeah. <laughs> probably some Sarah McLaughlin. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very much. Very much. The Canadian content. Yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs> I always looked forward to coming down here and recording more tapes. I I remember making those types of tapes too because we, we did not have access to MTV. So every time you go over a friend's house, you have to tape it and they're just so precious, you know, yeah, every time. Yeah, the mixtapes yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> You've always dreamed of being a performer on stage and were particularly interested in singing. And I wanted to know if you could talk about what you liked about singing and what the evolution of your connection to singing and to your voice is like. I can honestly say that there is absolutely nothing compared to singing <laughs> on stage. I mean, not just, just, not just on stage, but um, I say stage because that's where the best sound is where it's amplified and it's it's all around you and when the band is just on point there's just no other words i like it's the best 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 place where i can be and i'm not anywhere but the music like I'm I'm just I don't think about anything else I forget what's happening around the world what's happening um, in my life I'm just singing is it like transcendent I guess that's what transcending means <laughs> it doesn't happen all the time though I mean but when it does, it's like, it's the most amazing thing I can ever feel. And that's why I love it so much. And that's why I keep doing it. And 
That's why I want to keep doing it because it's it's just so amazing. Your cousin, Jaji, is that how you say his name? Yayi. 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 Yeah. Do you have a close relationship with him? Yeah, we. I mean, we're still close, but we were very, very close um, when I was young. Like when we were young, um, we became really good friends when I was like um, fourteen until until he moved away. I guess. Um, yeah, we were. We're still very close. We're still in contact. We talk regularly. Um, not as much as we used to, but um, we're, we're still very, very close. Um, and just to give some background on like the Wikipedia page for your village, there are two notable people listed, yourself <laughs> and your cousin, who is also <laughs> a musician. Um, really? There's a yeah. Wikipedia page about that? <laughs> yeah. It says notable people and then come to find out your cousins and um, you seem to be around the same age and it sounds like you were really close when you were growing up and it must have like meant so much to have him. I don't know if you were both playing music together um, growing up, but to be able to have such a like minded person around you. So we we started practicing music together and that's that's where I I I first wrote my song was with him so um we wrote a couple of songs and we practiced together and um, we performed um publicly together for the first time and the the hockey game yeah for the hockey torn uh for the hockey team and it was at the school gymnasium um and it was a fundraiser so um, people came to watch us sing and like very humble beginnings. Um, <laughs> I don't remember how much they paid, but it was probably not a lot. <laughs> like homemade posters and no stage, just on the floor with a mic stand. And that's where it started for me, I guess. <laughs> You often incorporate the sacred act of throat singing into your music, which you learned when you were 18. And it sounds like there is a really complicated history of throat singing in your community. Um, But for centuries, it had been a simple, rhythmic, imitating game between two women. So can you talk about the history of throat singing in your community, the significance of it being something that women specifically did, and why you will politely turn down requests to teach it outside of your culture. So much was stolen from from our culture um, through colonization. And since, uh, since uh, colonizers came to our lands, um, our people have been so oppressed and it con- the oppression continues today. Uh, the systemic violence continues and because Inuit uh, are so resilient, some of the practices that were not allowed uh, a long time ago are resurfacing. 
and throat singing is one of them. And it was in the 1970s that an elder from Povernituk um, that that took the initiative to to bring it back, and he he kind of um, I don't want to say order, but he kind of um, very sternly told the people that throat singing needs to come back before it's forgotten. So that gave the courage to the the old woman who knew how to throat sing but kept it a secret um, to come out and teach teach the younger generation that's around the time where um, Inuit throat singers started to travel to different countries to to perform it took another 20 years to for someone to make a throat singing workshop um, in Puvernituk again um, and invite all the young women who want to participate, like young girls, any age, uh, even guys were, were um, invited to, to attend this workshop. I didn't go um, at the time. But from that workshop, throat singing just spread and there's it used when i was when i was a teenager it was rare to meet a throat singer in my town and the neighboring communities but um because of the women that participated in that workshop in the 90s them teaching other other girls and then those other girls learning and learning from their grandmothers and things like that it started kind of spreading and finally i i had friends from neighboring communities that were visiting who can throat sing so i i asked them to teach me and i was 18 at the time and that's when i started practicing and still practicing to this day almost well over 20 years and and yeah back to the kind refusal um, because we've already had so much taken from us, um, it's something that we we value and we cherish, and it's part of our unique identity as as a people. And where we are, thirteen thousand Inuit in Nunavik, and we have our own culture, we have our own subculture, and our own songs. So let us have what we have <laughs> your style of music you call it inuindi um a mashup of inuit and also indie indie rock when did you decide to combine your interests in modern music and um the traditions of the inuit community when i got better at throat singing that's when i started kind of experimenting um, throat singing with the music that we were playing and then started incorporating like legends um, also because storytelling is a huge part of Inuit culture and it's it's my contribution to keeping the oral history alive in in 
more of a modern way. 2010 is when we released, uh, when I released uh, my second album, and that's when I first included throat singing. But there are there are uh, pioneers um, like Lina Tulawak, I think is her name, and there's Tutjat from from Nunavut, um, who who incorporated throat singing uh, in their music. Um, back in the 90s but it's just not it, their music is just not um, as known I guess hmm. um, you sing in three languages English, French and Inuktitut but you mainly feel most comfortable expressing yourself in your native language why is that and what does it mean for the people in your culture to hear you singing kind of like modern indie rock in their native language language is something that's very important today in in who we are as inuit because watching other nations losing their language it makes us want to try harder to preserve it so it's it's really appreciated that we're making Inuktitut music, like not just me, but other musicians too. Um, it's important. It's it's helping to preserve the language. We're still very fortunate that um, I think 98% of Nunavik still speaks Inuktitut when like Nunavut, for example, have a much, much lower percentage. So... The Nunavut um, is the, it's like the area where your town is. No, Nunavik is the whole Arctic region above the 55th parallel uh, of Quebec. Mm -hmm. That's Nunavik. And then Nunavut is the province. Okay. Yeah, it's the, the, new, the new province, the newest province of Canada. We're still the same people, the same Inuit. But we have um, like subcultures because of the um, regional distances. Mm. We, we eat the same right. food, we speak the same language, but we have different dialects and different methods. But right. in the core, we're still the same. Have you, so another Inuit musician that I've interviewed is Elisa P. You know her? Yeah. So she yeah. seems like she would be from a different subculture of she's Inuit. she's from um Saluit, which is two communities north from where i am it's very like we're the same but their dialect is different for example you have several other talents aside and i'm like in awe of you and your all of your talents <laughs> um you are a seamstress and have made your own clothes and are documenting on your Instagram that you're making some sealskin boots for uh, your nephew. Um, where did you learn this trade and how do your clothing creations pay homage to your culture? And like your music, is there any kind of um, modern elements incorporated into your designs? As Inuit, we're surrounded by women who sew so it's only very natural that that we become seamstresses like a lot of people don't 
show like they're not interested but like for me I'm like super passionate about sewing and always have been um I learned it from observing my mom learned it from observing my aunt and like whoever was sewing around me I learned it from from school because there's a what they call a culture class where where there's uh I guess like home economics instead of home economics it's like girls culture and boys culture so um the girls learned how to sew and the boys learned how to make hunting tools but in today like today I'm I heard that they're trying to not have it so separated and like if girls want to learn boys um methods and if boys want to learn girls methods and they're trying to make um something more um open so I keep I just kept sewing I kept I was I still keep learning um trying new things because um like some things are more simple to make um and other things are more complex like making sealskin boots uh, by hand there's many steps and like literally you step on the sealskin yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's one step (laughs) yeah you have to hunt the seal you well, from start to finish, you have to have a, have a boat, you have to have fuel, then you have to have a rifle and a gun, and, and <laughs> you, you, you shoot it, and then you bring it home, and then you eat it, and then you, you clean the fat off the skin with the ulu, that woman's knife, and then uh, you wash it, you hang it, then you stretch it on a wooden frame, um so it can dry properly and um it can't be in direct sunlight because that will damage the fur it has to be the right temperature so it doesn't rot and then after it's done then you step on it and then you wash it again and then you while it's drying you it's i don't it's not ringing but it's like kind of rubbing the skin together to make it Mm. supple and then you cut it and then you sew it and then it becomes your boot <laughs> sounds very easy <laughs> i'm gonna do it anybody can do it yeah it seems very doable <laughs> uh, yeah and then working with sin- synthetic materials is is different like making um parkas and things like that and I like to sew um, my outfits uh, for performing or um, yeah for performing in any events Um, I love representing my people and and making my outfits uh, traditional contemporary just because I love what they look like Um, I just find the the woman's outfit the amauti or the arnauti because amauti is to carry a baby on your back not inside the hood as uh that's an off that's often a misconception there's a pouch and then there's a hood so we carry our babies up until two years old um in the amauti and then the arnauti is the version where there's no pouch for the baby and that was the traditional 
coach um, before colonization. So I just love the shape, like the back hem, mm. or the whole hem actually. It just, it's just very, very feminine. Both mental and physical health are very important to you. Um, when you left your home, you sought out mental health assistance and are now an advocate for healthy lifestyles. What was your journey to living a healthy life and why could you not seek out a healthy lifestyle at home? Because there wasn't any resources to get any help for, 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 for me. Um, I was a very troubled young woman and there wasn't any therapists, no counselors. And the social worker who was there, because um, each community has a social worker, um, didn't know how to help me because she's a social worker and she's not a psychologist. And not just her, like there was many other social workers before her because there's such a big turnover rate with the um, social workers and healthcare workers. I had so much trauma that I was very broken and that's why I wanted to move to Montreal so that I can get professional help. Mm. and I've always well it took me a long time to understand why I was the way I was but with consistent um, therapy and counseling um, I've come to learn a lot of things about myself and about how people who who've experienced trauma can be like I've experienced it myself and then my kids grew older and then I watched them and see how how affected they 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 were and then so I I pay attention a lot to to emotional well-being and like not just emotionally but physically as well um mm. so that's that's my focus in life and I just want to help spread hope because if I can if I can overcome and heal and be a better person then anyone can too speaking of today's my ninth year of sobriety um, congratulations yeah thanks <laughs> I'm very happy about that it seems like you have really done a lot of work um, and have experienced a lot of personal growth. And like you said, you just want to bring hope. And you it sounds like you do so much work within your community to help bringing attention to suicide awareness and prevention in Indigenous communities. You speak openly about your experiences with suicide and depression. How do you see your openness and honesty helping others? And how does it further to help you talk about your experience? I find it's, uh, it's, it's important to, to be honest and open 
because there are so many people that feel like they're the only ones going through what they're going through and there's a lot of shame there can be a lot of shame associated with it and that further isolates an individual and when when someone commits suicide it's it's devastating because that person didn't get to see their own potential when all their not to minimize the situation but when the only problem was that they just didn't understand that it was the pain from their traumatic experiences that led them to not want to live not feel worthy not feel important not feel loved and that's the trauma that's the untreated trauma and it's so devastating when that person didn't realize that there is hope that it doesn't have to be that way you just need to realize that it takes a lot of work yes but it doesn't define who you are you're like we're all born with a purpose mm. and it's so sad when someone ends their life without realizing that there's purpose the starting point for your latest album which is your fourth record beautiful album by the way it's my all to you you started making this record as a desire to relive the moment when you decided to transform your outlook and do some that serious work on yourself um what was that moment like for you what emotions were kind of coloring your world at that point that moment where you kind of touch that maybe there's something more to life that maybe life doesn't have to be depressing all the time sad all the time and then when you taste that bit of joy and then you understand that oh my god there's more there's there can be more to this and then you start figuring out oh my god i have a calling oh my god i have a purpose then <laughs> you don't want to die <laughs> you yeah. just you want to live and you want to tell everyone else that they got to live and and find their purpose then you're unstoppable i've i've gone through some like pretty dark times myself and then coming out of the dark times i don't know if you ex you experienced this but like i could like hardly stand myself with how much i wanted to tell people about how like wonderful the world is and that the yeah. universe is inside of us and that we're all connected <laughs> and you know um but it seems like um i just get annoyed with myself pretty often i i feel like the way that and and i'm sure other people were not annoyed with me but just like looking back on it it was like the only thing i ever wanted to talk about mhm mm um but yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like it is like an overwhelming feeling and you just want to tell everybody yeah um but that's beautiful yeah yeah that's why i write songs <laughs> <laughs> 
seems like a good practice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to know what your journey has been like with forgiveness, because it seems like you have had to do a lot of forgiving based on trauma in your past. There was some sexual abuse. Also, in thinking about your community and your ancestors being abused by the government for generations, and then just talking about being sober for nine years, what has been your journey with, with forgiveness with, for others and then also especially for yourself? Before I continue, I am, I'm happy to hear that you got out of your dark places. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's a good feeling. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, forgiveness. Forgiveness is, is such a powerful, life-changing thing um and it's definitely the hardest hardest thing um next to saying i'm sorry and for me the hardest thing was to forgive myself because when when we have so much guilt and resentment it really brings us down it eats us up and it really takes a takes a toll um, on us so that was the hardest for me was to forgive myself um, for for being so unstable um, to my to in with my kids um, when my kids were small mm. um, with the alcohol and the violence that I made them witness that that was something that I had the hardest forgiving myself for and then there's also um having to forgive other people who who caused me pain and sometimes I still struggle with with the person that that hurt me in the past and it's a it's a continuous um effort but I strongly believe that if we want peace in our in our life, forgiveness must be in our values, in our core values, because I wouldn't want to live being angry at someone for the rest of my life, uh, because that's, that's going to bind me um, to sadness and hardship, and not necessarily have an effect on the person I'm angry at. Mm. Like I'm the one who's suffering, not them, if I'm right. gonna choose to not forgive. Now I wanna talk about your video for the song Muta. Imuta? Muta a traditional Inuit song. So let me set the scene for those who have not watched this video, and I will definitely post it on my website because um, you got to watch it. You're visiting your town. You arrive by plane, and you're hanging out with members of the community, and then you go to the local school, and you're in what we have been talking about, the, the school gymnasium, the school auditorium. Um, you're playing for all the kids who seem like beyond pumped to have you there. You are a <laughs> rock star. Um, your band is also there and you play a concert for the kids and it's this traditional song and they all know the words. 
um, and your band looks so pumped to be there, so stoked. And then uh, there's clips of you and the band showing the kids the instruments. Looks like you're teaching them th- some things on guitar and drums. And you had a quote about this video. I want the world to see the warmth of my community and the people in it. I want them to see themselves on a music video and realize that fun projects like that are possible to do. Can you talk about the experience of filming that video, the feeling you got during the production, and also how your bandmates had been feeling? Had they ever been to your village before? (laughs) Yeah, my band, um, I've been playing with my band for eight years now. We, we, before COVID, we traveled often to the north, to the different villages, to different events and festivals. They love the north. They really love the north. It's always a great experience when we go up there to perform. The kids were so happy. And to make the video, we had to play the song. I think we did it like four times a night. <laughs> we did it in two nights and we played it like I think four times and they were just the same energy the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> they were on 10. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were so happy and um the kids when we were showing the the kids uh, the instruments that part is uh, part of our project was to teach like little music lessons to to kids and that was done at the the church um, because in the north there's not a lot of facilities that are available so we we approach um, different organizations and they're always happy to support different projects and we need more more fun projects to to uplift the spirits and kind of forget about the day-to-day challenges that mm. um, are up there. So, yeah, the kids, that media always portrays really bad stuff about the Inuit and things like that when there's so much richness and beauty and love. But honestly, there's a lo- also a lot of... Ch- um, hardship that stem from different traumas from colonization and we still need to work on that speaking of you participated and i'm not exactly sure if you have done this recently or if this was a few years ago an exhibit at the national museum of history in gatineau quebec Uh called The Red Dress, which was in memory of the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, which seems like such a terrible, uh, long history, unfortunately. Um, for those who are not familiar, can you talk about the inquiry and also the symbolism of a red dress in indigenous communities? The, the inquiry was to to really find out what's really happening in the indigenous communities because there's a high rate of murder amongst indigenous women and girls and the missing and it needs to be known that 
these these women, these girls haven't been prioritized because of their race. And that's that's terrible. Like I can't imagine how a mother feels when she knows that her missing daughter is just forgotten by the only people that can investigate and solve a crime and bring justice there's no justice like how could how could that be because of race it was a privilege and an honor to 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 make that red garment that angnauti to represent nunavik it's a very small thing for me to do considering how important the issue is it's it has to stop it's part of the trauma that indigenous people have and it, there needs to be equality hmm. in every race for every race you have two children mhm is that right and a son and a daughter yeah right and yeah. they're teens they're adults. <laughs> They're adults. <laughs> Grown-up human beings. Yeah. Yeah. 18 and 20. Wow. Yeah. You're not old enough to have <laughs> kids that old. But okay. <laughs> um, how has your intentional decision to seek personal growth impacted your family? How has it brought you closer together? Oh, my God. If I didn't, if I didn't choose to change my life around, I don't know where we would be. I don't know if we were, if we would even be alive. Um, definitely, wouldn't be where we are today as a family if 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 I didn't make those choices to change my life around. Um, since I quit drinking um, and dedicated myself to to healing and understanding myself and being more aware of myself and uh, of my emotions and what trauma does and all that, um, I've also really dedicated myself to rebuilding a relationship with my children because during their first 10 and 12 years of their life, um, although I was a, a good mom in providing in like all their needs physically, I was not present. I had, I drank a lot. Um, I was angry, I was violent, and I had a very toxic marriage. So I had to forgive myself I many times over for the fact that I didn't bond the way I should have with my kids and then they became teenagers and then being a single mom and having to deal with very sad kids <laughs> mm. that was the price I paid um but I I'm I did my best and I'm still doing my best to 
to be there for them, to support them. And I'm really glad that they themselves uh, sought counseling, um, not because I forced them to, not, I tried to force them in the beginning, but I understood that you can't force anyone to go into counseling. And then when they matured and understood that counseling helps by observing mm my change because it's the actions that speak louder than words and that sounds cliche but when I understood that that really touches me on a deeper level because we're living it um, mm. so I'm so grateful that my kids are stable um like everybody else, we have our ups and downs, and they do too. But I'm just so grateful for the things that they experienced in their young life, all the traumas, to be where they are today. I can't, there's no words for how grateful I am. I found your daughter's Instagram too, and she's like an awesome <laughs> artist. She is. Uh, she's She's blooming. <laughs> And she's a tattoo artist as well yeah. as um, yeah. a painter. And I wonder how, as an advocate for the Inuit culture, how you have intentionally worked to pass that culture onto your kids. That was... Um, cultural identity is something that I had to sacrifice as a parent in order for my kids to have a healthy emotional life. <laughs> Although I didn't understand it at the time, uh, when we moved, I knew that I needed to get my my butt out of Huaktak <laughs> if I want to get any <laughs> any help at all. So I knew, I understood, I understood at 23 that I need to get my family out of here because if I have to take care of a family, I have to take care of myself first. Mm. And I'll, like the, the priority when we moved was we only speak Inuktitut to each other at home because we're going to be in Montreal. No one speaks Inuktitut except a few family members who live here. Because I do have family members here and none of their kids, they all understand Inuktitut, but they don't speak it. And I know a lot of people who have grown up in the South who are Inuit who cannot speak Inuktitut and it breaks their heart. So I made that promise and rule in our household, we only speak Inuktitut. So even if they grow up here, they speak Inuktitut, and I'm so proud of that. Their Inuktitut is not perfect, but they speak it, and they can mm. always work work on it to improve it. So I'm proud of that. Um, and I've always made sure to, to show um, pride in our culture um, and for them to to be proud of their name and to correct people if they don't pronounce their name properly so they just follow like all children follow their parents they <laughs> 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 mm -hmm. 
Um, but my but my daughter um really developed uh like a very strong passion for Inuit culture when she attended the Nunavik Sivunitsavut um college program for Inuit. Um, okay, a little bit of fun here. We do something on this podcast called the lightning round. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. You ready? <laughs> there we go. Beatrice D. Wait, I, why am I saying your name like Beatrice? Oh, I know why. Because I I am from uh, Massachusetts, and we add and drop R's. Oh, Beatrice yeah? Beatrice is how you'd say, really? you say it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that just came out of my mouth. It's like my dad is saying your name. Beatrice. <laughs> Beatrice Dia. You've got too many R's and lack of R's in your name. Huh. But, okay, here we go. Lightning round. It's going to be real good. Ready? Okay. What's the first song you learned on guitar? Zombie. Cranberries. Batman or Superman? Batman. What is your karaoke no, song? No, Superman. Sorry. Superman. Yeah. Okay, tell me why. What happened? What happened just there? Um, I just find Batman like covering his face and doing the uh, like really low talking is like, ah, uh, come on. And Batman, I mean, Superman was uh, this super handsome Clark Kent, um, shy guy. <laughs> it's pretty complex. <laughs> okay, Superman. What is your karaoke song? Ah, oh, my band has a live karaoke band called called You Rockyoki, and I always sing uh, like "Sweet Child of Mine." But we nice. also we also play that too um, with our band because it's the same band. <laughs> yes, it's funny. Besides now, of course, what has been your favorite age? Um, besides now, yes. Um, now is a really good age, but besides that, um, being 14, yeah, carefree, no responsibilities, smoking cigarettes and walking around all night. <laughs> not a girl, not yet a woman. Yeah. Um, dogs or cats or something else? I'm allergic to animals, but... I used to have both. Yeah, it's hard. I don't know. I used to have a rabbit too. <laughs> Were you allergic to the rabbit too? Uh, I don't think so. No. What is your coffee order? Decaf flat white. That's a good one. Yeah. What are you going to eat on cheat day? Oh my god, I'm gonna have waffles, eggs, bacon, whippets, Mars bar. Um, <laughs> my aunts invited us for some goose, uh, beluga, fish. Yeah, I don't, I think I'm just gonna eat anything and everything I can get my hands on. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna get a stomach ache. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's gonna be worth it. First album you bought with your own money? Wow, that's a good one. Maybe the Cranberries. Oh, big um, Cranberries fan. Um, Ode to My Family? Yeah, that's it. That's yeah, the one. Yeah. First concert? I think it was Metallica at 
par Jean Drapeau. Last book you read? I'm still reading Where the Crawdads Sing. Oh, that's a great book. I'm loving it. I'm it's loving amazing. it. I'm a big psychological thriller junkie. What is your dream collaboration? Like with anyone known, you mean, or with anyone? <laughs> with anyone. Um, darn, that's a hard one. It means I haven't thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd love to play with an orchestra. Oh, that's sweet. That's a great answer. Yeah. Would you choose flying or invisibility? Visibility. Yeah, if you're flying and can't see, you're gonna hit stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, two more questions. Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Trek. And the last question of the lightning round. Where is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Um, I think that's Hingot. Uh, it's uh, up. It's it's in the it's the Pain River in Gangsuk. I'm gonna Google it. Yeah. And look at pictures. Are there pictures online? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's the world's best Arctic char fishing spot. <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of the best, anyways. All right, that's it. You did great. That was a fun lightning round, <laughs> even though it wasn't like lightning. <laughs> um, Beatrice, dear, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's like an honor to have you on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was fun. Basic Folk is produced by Adam Corey and Laura McCarthy with Adam producing this week. Our business manager is Lindsay Myers. Our music is done by Alexander Stanton of the band Townspeople. Basic Folk is proud to be on the American Songwriter Podcast Network. Lots of great musical podcasts available at americansongwriter.com. I'm Cindy Howes. If you want more information on Basic Folk, you can go to my website, cindyhouse.net. There are show notes of all 82 episodes of this podcast that I have done here with all of my friends helping me. And thank you for listening to this podcast. We'll talk to you later. Okay, bye.